Did you ever work for anybody else? Yeah, it didn't work. I got fired. Okay. So we're going to go through the roller coaster journey. And in between that, we're going to impart some wisdom on you guys. So I've been dying to do this podcast for a while. Everything we're going to talk about today, this dude learned by being in the fire. He'd been baptized in the deep end quite a few times. I'm always curious about people when they say, I'm, I, got, I have an idea for a business. And I'm like, all right, are you willing to go through massive pain for many years? Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Painted Profits. And if you're watching on the YouTube channel, you're going to notice a little bit different backdrop. <laughs> Got some construction going on in the background. We're actually in Birmingham, Alabama, hanging out with my guy, Damian Lupo, founder, CEO of EQRP. We're going to be talking about qualified retirement plans, how you can set up your own as an entrepreneur, why you should probably be doing that. But we're also going to talk about Damian's story into entrepreneurship. You've been in the game for a long time now. How long have you been an entrepreneur? I mean, since I was 11, I started a business, hired my parents. Did you ever work for anybody else? Yeah, it didn't work. I got fired. Okay. so Even as a volunteer, t- I got fired. Like, yeah. It never worked. Typical entrepreneur story. Yeah. So we're going to go through the roller coaster journey. And in between that, we're going to impart some wisdom on you guys about why you need to be managing your retirement as an entrepreneur. Specifically, that's what this podcast is all about. If you're an entrepreneur, you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking about how to make that transition to entrepreneurship, this is going to be a great show for you because there's a lot of uh, irrational fears about benefits that you need to keep when you're staying employed that you can actually just handle and manage for yourself. So anyways, without further ado, Damien, my guy, how you doing, man? Welcome hey, to the show. It's good to have you in Birmingham, man. I know. So I've been dying to do this podcast for a while, um, let alone do, this is like our first travel to do a podcast in person. So it's super special for me. But before we jump too far in, I want everybody to just understand who you are and how you got to where you are today, because I think it's important to just set the frame of uh, everything we're going to talk about today, this dude learned by being in the fire. You've been baptized in the deep end quite a few times. So who are you and how would you get to where you are today? I'll tell you what, man, I'm not an ivory tower guy. There's, <laughs> like there's no learning in some classroom. This was all in the mud and the it was, it was muddy bloody. That's And so, yep. you know, people question who, who am I? I'm, you know, I, I'm a guy that said the system doesn't work for me. And I think it's interesting because a lot of people are saying the system doesn't work for them in a lot of different ways right now. Yep. Uh, back 25, 30 years ago, I went to college and ended up getting thrown out because I started a bookstore on campus and it put the other bookstore out of business. <laughs> and it was great for me because I paid for school in a, in a week. Right. And I was just finding a, a, a problem. This is before Amazon got in, into that space. But it was for me, I was looking for ways to create value. Like I, back then, I was trying to make some money because I wanted to pay for college. And, and it was just one of those things. I had lots of ideas, more ideas that didn't work, that failed. And so it's I think that's one of the big differences between entrepreneurs that you talk to at 40 or 50 that have been entrepreneurs for 50 years or 30 or 50. I mean, in my, my case, it's been, it's been 35 years of being an entrepreneur and I'm 45. Yeah. So it just means that it's in my blood. And, and so I'm not willing to lose and stop. Right. And that's, that's the really what I'm, I'm always curious about people when they say, I'm, I got, I have an idea for a business and I'm like, all right, are you willing to go through massive pain for many years? And usually you can tell just by their, the way that they kind of hesitate, they're not. In, in my case, it was one thing after another, trying, trying, getting beat up, losing money, going broke, going bankrupt multiple times, and then going, okay, huh, interesting, learn something from that. And so 70 plus businesses later, we're, we're in a place where <laughs> some things have worked, most things haven't, and, and then we talk about the winners, but we learn from the losers. Man, that's a, I don't even have anything to add to that. But I do have a question about the 70 businesses. So I want to know what was the dumbest business idea that you had? <laughs> and, and then obviously EQRP has been incredibly successful, but you've had a ton of other. What are, what are the handful that were like really good businesses out of the 70 that you tried? Well, here, here's the really bad ones, the, the terrible ones. Like one of the funniest ones, I had, I had a, I, uh, um, a coupon clipping business in, in my first round, first year of college. I had, it was basically people would, it was one of these infomercial things. I went to this seminar for a couple hours, and they said, you can buy one of these businesses. Each business in a box is $500. One of them was college scholarships, so I could package up scholarships that people could go in and apply for. Another one was the coupon business, where and they, they pitched it. They're like, you can literally, for $5, you can get $500 worth of coupons. And I was like, this is great. People are going to love this. And I had absolutely zero orders. <laughs> and so I had this business, and I didn't know anything. I didn't know that it might be good to have an 800 number. I had a local number. This is back in the 90s. Like there, I didn't know anything, and I just was out there just trying things. I was like, okay, well, that that's was the difference, though. That that's the difference, and so that was that was one of the dumb ones. Um, I had an iPad, international iPad trading uh, business in 2010 when I was trying when I was working on a, on a U.S. Senate campaign. I thought a side hustle would be great. 
I'll import and export iPads. And then I realized the tariffs and things were like more than the iPad. And I was like, this business sucks. Yeah. So there, you know, you just, you don't know what you don't know. And that's, that's the interesting thing. We think we have all the, like, I know this and I don't know that, but what you don't know is you don't know what you don't know. And that's, I didn't know anything about tariffs. I didn't even know that I needed to know. Yeah. And so there was just like all these ideas, the, and to, to really put this in perspective, I think one of the problems that people have is they have too many things they try to do at once. And I remember about 12 years ago, I was thinking about what I was going to do after I melted down in 2008 and lost 25 million. And I said, well, what, can, what should I do? And so I ended up doing like seven things at once and nothing worked because there, it was fractured energy. And it wasn't like Richard Branson who has 50 companies or one of these big entrepreneurs. They have CEOs. They have companies that have systems. I had seven jobs. Yeah. And you that's the what, CEO for I was everything. the CEO of everything. The salesperson, the marketing person. It, it, it was a disaster. So that's, that's one of the, the huge lessons is, Go do something, do some things, but do one thing at a time and go deep on it. And if you don't like it, move to the next thing, but don't do seven at once because you ever talk to somebody and you're like, what do you do? And they're like, well, I do this and this and this. And you're like, basically, you're a loser because you're not focused. (laughs) And that's the difference between success and and ultimately not getting anywhere and spinning your wheels is focus. 100%. So you had a a killer run in real estate and you just alluded to it, you know, lost 25 million. Was real estate something that was always on the radar? At what point did you decide that, hey, I'm going to go deep on building a portfolio? And then can you run us through that journey of, hey, started, grinded into 2008, and then blew up? That was not my plan when – so I, I was working at Wells Fargo, and then I was invited to not work there anymore. And <laughs> and then I ended up working at an, I had an insurance agency. I was maybe the youngest or one of the youngest agents in history in farmers, farmers insurance. Had an agency when I was 19 – in Arizona. And I did that for about a year and a half. And then a friend of mine went out and started reading books on real estate flipping and things. And he said, Hey man, I got a deal. And he said, you want to be my partner? And I said, I don't know what you need me for. I don't know anything about real estate. And he said, well, I need some money. And I said, man, I'm a broke insurance agent. He goes, well, it's only 6,000 bucks because we were taking over a mortgage. And I said, all right. So I took a cash advance out on my credit card, ended up buying this thing. And so in partnership, we went out to remodel the house and he told me he was too busy to help. And so I had to figure out how to electrify myself, which means getting electrocuted (laughs) and doing electrical work and, you know, falling off the roof. And like, I was doing all this stuff and it started there. It was, it was really just, I thought, okay, I can be a partner. And then I went to a seminar and saw Robert Kiyosaki and some other people and got excited, bought all the tapes and came home with extra couple suitcases and said, this is my thing. Like, I'm so excited about this. And then all of, all of my psychology got in the way and I almost went bankrupt the first six months because I wasn't actually doing anything with the property I bought. It was, it was like I was collecting real estate, but I didn't. I needed to have a collection of tenants or people, and I, I didn't understand what I was doing. I just thought, oh, cool, I'm an investor. Yeah. And so that that's where it started. And once I realized I was going to go bankrupt, it hit me, and I said, this is going to be the shortest real estate career in history, unless I do something. So I actually answered my phone. I put some more ads out about seven houses the next thirty days. Wow. And and then it went from there to 150 houses over the next four years. And, and that's where this thing spiraled up before it crashed down. And that's how you ended up in Birmingham. That's how you made some roots here, right? Yeah. A couple of years in another interesting lesson or mistake is, is deciding that um, your the diamonds in your backyard aren't shiny enough. So you go to somebody else's yard. It's that book acres of diamonds. That's what I did. I said, Phoenix isn't good enough. So where else can I find the next Phoenix? And so I bounced all over the country, ended up in Birmingham and did a bunch of, of houses here I, it was it was kind of an accident, and but what I've learned over time is that whatever wealth you're trying to create, whatever value you're you're interested in conveying on other people or building, it's literally in your backyard. There's there's a billion dollar opportunity a mile away from where you sit right now, wherever you're listening. If you're driving, look around. There's a billion dollars sitting in front of you, and you're oblivious to it because your reticular activator doesn't even know it's there. Right. So that's we tend to go searching instead of just stopping and looking around, and that's a big difference in and how much time people waste because they're constantly chasing. Yeah, and that's kind of the difference. I mean, entrepreneurs just see those little gaps in the market and figure out how to go fix them. And sometimes we're thinking way too big, like, I got to build the next unicorn company. It could be as simple as, you know, hey, I noticed that all the HVAC contractors in our market don't answer their phone. Or if they don't run paid media, we could probably do that better and just be better marketers and own a share of the market. I mean, people are actively searching for that. There's idiocy in every industry. Yeah. 100%. Hundred um, percent. Do you think we're going to have a a shot at a similar? I, so I feel like the era that I grew up in around real estate, like flipping, was the rage. Everybody was doing it. I mean, I think there's 
I know tons of people who killed it in Arizona and that market. You came to Birmingham because it was cheapish, you know, eighty to a hundred thousand dollar houses you could buy. Um, do you think we're gonna see that again? Because I was looking at real estate while I was here, right? It's one of my favorite things to do, and I'm like, man, I don't see anything less than like five, six hundred thousand, right? Do you think we're gonna get another shot at it, given where the market's at? Or I, so one of the things that I learned was in, in trying to force things when you're a hunter, when you're flipping is hunting and investing is farming. And what's, what's interesting when you're farming, you have natural forces from the universe, from God that are supporting you there. And if you, if you go out and you plant a seed and then you nurture the seed and you let the sun and the seasons and the rain do its thing, you have this beautiful thing that happens. It grows. And I made a ton of money when I let things grow, when I would let them grow. When I started harvesting, when I tried to flip, my experience was really bad. I, I learned what foreclosure felt like. <laughs> and, it, it was beca- and I learned how to write checks to sell properties. Now, if you're not following what I just said, it means I wrote checks and I didn't get a check Here, when I sold. This. Here's some money. Yeah, I, would, I, I did that several times. And I was like, this this flipping thing sucks. Like, what am I doing here? Yeah. I'm literally paying somebody to buy my property. So is there going to be not, I think there's always people and there's people that do this and make money and do better than me. One of the things I don't like about flipping is for most people, they're going to they're, they're going to get hammered with taxes because it's ordinary income. And when you the tax code is set up to incentivize certain things, tax code is not set, set up to flip properties. So it's, it wants you to invest and create housing. It wants you to create commercial. It wants you to create things, not skim profits. Like if you, you have some background in, in the financial markets and com, you know, commodities and things, and when you're trading, that's active income. When you buy something and you sell it five years later, you have capital gains. And so our system is not set up for people to skim things off the top. It's just, it doesn't, Congress in their wisdom doesn't really like that. Yeah. And, and so do I think it's, to your question, do I think it's coming I think there, there's going to be opportunity. I think there's always opportunity. I think if, but I think that that's one of the, the least uh, sound fundamental plans for somebody to go flip properties. I think there's always going to be opportunity, but it's not going to be obvious. You're not going to have. It's not going to just fall on your lap. You got to go find it. Yeah. There's opportunity, but you got to find the thing that's messy. You got to go solve a problem. Problems don't sit there and go, "Hey, here, I'm a problem. Just come take me, and you can make a million bucks." Yeah, there's an inefficiency in every market, and, and part of why I want to ask that question is. A lot of our audience are what I call entrepreneurs looking to make that leap. And for whatever reason, real estate is always the path that they think they're going to use to like finally break free of the golden handcuffs. It's like, dude, 200, 200, 300 bucks a month is not going to change your life. Mm -mm. So then they resort to flipping or wholesaling or something like that. I just don't see that being a very viable way, but there's mispricing in every market. I mean, just look at this building we're sitting in right now, right? You were telling me about the deal that you put together on this, bought it. Now you're doing a sell lease back. I'm looking at buying a 35,000 square foot building where the market price is 200 and I'm getting it for 107 bucks a square foot. But if you're not in the game, you're not digging deep, looking for those opportunities in your backyard, you're never going to find them. So, Well, and here, here's one that I, I participated in probably 15 years ago, and it's an, an opportunity for somebody that's an entrepreneur that's looking for a real estate opportunity. Wholesaling is one of those things that I, I, I thought, this actually is great. And, and what I my participation was a guy came to me and he was out there marketing to out-of-state owners of houses and he would get these houses tied up and then he would go to the local investors and he'd be like, hey, I've got a great deal. And he was selling it for 30, 35% below real value. So there's a great opportunity. Well, he was buying it at 45% below. So he had this nice 10%. So it's 10, 15,000 bucks he's making. And and he would would not own it. He would literally just sell his contract to one of us investors. And I actually, it was funny. I, I showed up at a, at a house and he's, he's there and there's another guy there. We both happen to be from Alaska. This is in Arizona. Right. And we're like, all right, what do we do? Right. We both want the house. He's like, well, it's, you know, it's 60,000 bucks. And we're like, okay, we put in 10, it's worth a hundred. That's, that's, I mean, it, it, we're talking about lipstick pigs, yeah. you know, pick ha- pretty pig yeah. <laughs> carpet and paint. And, and so I looked at the guy and I said, tell you what, you and I are probably going to be at this, this, this house, another house again at the same time. So how about one of us, writes a check to the other one for 3000 bucks, and the other one takes the house, and on the next house, we flip rolls. And he goes, cool. I said, great, which one do you want? He said, I'll write you a check. So I showed up for a meeting, made $3,000, went home. He literally wrote me a check, and I was done. Feel. And he made 30000 So people would be like, that's stupid. Why didn't you? I was like, look, there's, there's so much abundance out there, and you don't have to get greedy. It was a way, like the wholesaling space, they, Ger, Gerald, Gerald, anyway, the guy that did the deal, that brought us the deal, he was doing a lot of those deals and it was, it was about marketing. Yeah. It was about him reaching out and what's the risk? Some marketing dollars. It was actually a grind though for, he had to do some work and then he didn't have to paint anything. He literally handed it off. So that may be 
a great way for people to enter and kind of pivot without taking on hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars in debt and not I had no idea what they're doing. That may be an option. Yeah, creating value. We always said you need somebody to find it, somebody to make it viable, somebody to get over the line, somebody to sell it on the back end, and somebody to bring the money. Right. You can be one of the five. There's 20, sounds like 100% equity split five ways. You can make money. So let's walk forward. So you're killing it. You have, get 150 homes in your yeah, portfolio? Yeah, I had 150. And those are all cash flowing rentals. Not You're not flipping or doing anything like that. I, I was not flipping. The The theory was that they were all cash flowing. <laughs> and that's it's cash flow is a theory. It's like a pro forma. It's a theory. Right. And until you have cash flow and until you've gone to the end of your year and you've seen how much expense you've had, you don't know if you've had cash flow. But if your rent's 1200 and your your underlying cost or mortgage or whatever is 1000 in theory, you have $200 of cash flow. But the reality of that is is definitely different. It's like to, when you said two or $300 isn't going to change your life. That's true. And it's often negative two or 300 or like, oh, I got to replace the roof or it's vacant or whatever. Um, but what was your original question? The, the question was just kind of fast forwarding to, you know, 150 homes and then 2008 hits and the world melts down and you get your ass handed to you. Well, so leading up to that, one of the things that I did that was a huge mistake, and this is this is being young, this is being greedy, this is being whatever you want to call it. I looked at my portfolio and said, you know what? I want to harvest. I want I want a Ferrari. Like I want some I want some juice. Like I was impatient in my twenties, too much money, all excited, thought I was King Kong, and and so I started harvesting. I was selling some of these in two thousand four and five. Phoenix went vertical. Like things were going up ten to fifteen percent a month. Wow. This is when you know that you're in a bubble top. And I said, this doesn't make any sense. So I was selling things as fast as possible. And oftentimes there would be 30, 40, 50, sometimes $100,000. I remember one time I was trying to get back to the U.S. to sign documents because I had several sales and it was a quarter million dollar cash event for me, just like cash. And and so I was harvesting the equity. Now, it's not necessarily terrible to harvest some of your equity unless you're just going out and spending it. And it's like, oh, yeah, because now it's gone. It's not producing any little you know, cash you flow or anything. so damn hard to get it. You're just it, gonna go throw it away, and it, and and this stuff it was so. There's a lot of work up front, and then I let the I let the sun and the and the and the rain do its thing. Like it, it these things grew, equity grew, and this just it took three, four, five years. And that's one of the things people don't get. Like if you give things time, so I gave it time, and then I harvested and I went and spent it and had a good time. And I thought, all right, now I'm super smart. <laughs> and then and then I was like, all right, now I don't have any houses, like because I I sold everything off. But it was it was actually very smart considering the timing at a, at a top. The, one of the dumber things I did, you talked about businesses that are that you know, maybe mistakes and things. I went right back into the market because I thought everybody's making money flipping. So I, I decided I was going to become a, a like a full flipper at that point. Made all this money doing fundamentally s- smart real estate. And then I go out and, and ended up buying some houses, remodeling them, and then either losing money or several of them went back to the bank. So that was that was what happened in, in like 2006 and seven. At the same time, I went out and, and said, I'm going to go develop. I'm going to develop condos in Birmingham, giant apartments outside of Graceland in Memphis. I'm going to do multi-million dollar bulldoze and rebuild at the ocean in Maine next to Bush's estate. Like I was doing all these things wow. again simultaneously, seven different things that were supposed to make me a million bucks each. And in 12 months, not only did those all fail and lose me a million or more on each one of them, the whole portfolio collapsed. And so I went from millions in net worth to negative 5 million. So $20 million portfolio to negative 5 million. Like this is, it, it was, I, I think I was wrong on everything. Yeah. And it, that happens when you have big economic cycles, but you, the reality is we're going to be wrong on a lot of things in general. I just didn't realize you could be wrong that much at once. Had you hadn't gone through a cycle at that point yet? When not, not really in, in 2000, when the dot com melted down, I, I had money there. And so I, I learned about margin trading. I did that one time, lost all my money in like 12 minutes. <laughs> I mean, legitimately, I, I was like, okay, I'd saved up, had like $40,000 and it went to zero because I had margined it up and things I, got it, levered to the gills. I got levered. I didn't know what I was doing. I was like, this is easy money. I can use somebody else's money. And it's only whatever. You what are these do. idiots doing over here? You yeah. know? I, I thought, and then I realized I was the idiot. Yeah. I was like, okay, so, so that. So I had lost it, and and it, it, one of the things I learned was when when I talk about losing twenty five million, that's a lot. But you know what? So is the the person that has twenty thousand that loses it all because I've been in those spots where that's all I had, and then going back to zero sucks. So it's just because it's a bigger number doesn't mean it's not everything you have. It's also when I look at people and they're investing and they say, "Well, I'm investing fifty thousand dollars," and I'm like, "Well, you got five million. Fifty thousand doesn't matter." The person that has seventy thousand that invests twenty thousand, I'm like, "You really care about this? Like, you're really in?" So it's always an interesting thing, the the uh, 
percentage of your chunk, whether you lose it or whether you're, you've got skin in the game. Like it's, it's very relative and it doesn't matter about the big numbers. Like somebody that has Elon Musk goes and buys Twitter. If Twitter goes to zero, it doesn't even impact him. Yeah. People are like $40 billion. What is wrong with you? It's like, yeah, he wanted the little bird. He wanted to go kill the bird. Yep. So he did. Bird's dead. Bird's dead. So hindsight's twenty twenty. What would you say that you do different now when starting up and scaling into a business? Because it sounds like to me you you were you caught the wave at the right time, and you were running and gunning, which is awesome. Maybe not as sophisticated as you are now. I know now you're a CCIM, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Right. So you maybe didn't have all those underwriting skills that you had back then and forecasting debt. And I didn't have any of the skills or any of the experience. Yeah. So hindsight's twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. Um, market melts down again in 2024, which very well could happen. Mm-hmm. How do you play the game a little different? Well, one, I'm looking at fundamentals. I'm not, you know, there's, there's opportunity. And if you sit around and wait, you're going to look back and go, God, how many times have we been around people? And they're like, if I had just done this, yeah. it's like, okay, great. Yeah. Easy. You can play that game. Yeah. Forever. Monday morning, you know, arm, you know, quarterbacking. Yeah. That, so when, when we have the cycles again, the, one of the things that I'm not going to do is chase shiny objects. So I have these businesses that, that have great people and, so am I going to go launch something? If I have great people, great operators, like we we have a manufacturing organization in Arizona called FrameTech that that we've got world-class operators that have been doing this business for 30 to 50 years. Like our average tenure in this space is like 20 plus years. Wow. So that, that's the difference. I'm not going to go and start a business or do something that I don't know anything about without people that have extensive track track records so am I, am I likely to go just start something? Um, it's pretty unlikely. I'm, I'm likely to go look at something that's broken and say, okay, I can take some fundamental skills and bring people in and go do that, buy that, be a part of that, grow that. It's kind of the difference between saying, okay, I want to go fly. So you could either say, I'm going to go buy a bunch of pieces to an airplane and put it all together. And you got, you know, you're looking at the, the, the runway and there's like a ton of pieces, 8 billion pieces, or you just go buy the plane and hire the pilot. Right. <laughs> so I'm, I'm more looking at that. I'm looking at, okay, the plane that has an issue, but let's go find the people. And it's, it's harder that way. It's easier to say, I'm going to go start something because like, okay, you can literally say that in your business, yep. but it doesn't, it, but after having started so many of these things, the amount of years it takes to go there, you got to be committed. Most people think, okay, I'm in and out because I've heard of WhatsApp. And in 18 right. months, it went to 26 billion or whatever these things are. And that's not reality. No. But people think that because they saw it on Instagram or they, they heard about it in Forbes that, oh, I'm going to model that. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah, that's the exception, not the rule. It's the exception. And you can always have the tail of the bell curve happen. But if that's your plan, if that happens, that's a cool surprise. Never, ever, ever plan on it because, okay, it's like saying, okay, my plan is I'm going to win the lottery. And, and those tails are the lottery. And does, when somebody does it multiple times, they are the tail. Like Elon has multiple billion dollar companies, but he's he's an alien. Yeah. Like I don't <laughs> plan on hundred hours. Yeah. Doesn't see any of his fam- friends, family sleeps under his desk, and he's a nut. Yeah. And th- so we can we can choose to go down that path, but there's also a very rational path to create wealth and and to pivot from a job or whatever. And it is it is not saying okay, I'm going to go from zero to hero at a billion. Yeah. It's from you know, people say, I want to make a billion dollars. I'm like, hey, you haven't even made a hundred thousand or a million. And you want to go straight to a billion because you want three commas? Like, it, forget the commas. Go out there and, and see if the market even cares. And if it does, go get really good at it and bring great people. And, and then you'll you'll watch this thing. And, and they naturally grow if you put fuel into them and you put the right people. But people get this stuff wrong because their ego gets all involved. Yeah, time is a great equalizer for sure. And the one thing I've seen talking to well over hundred entrepreneurs now kind of having the same conversation is business one is like, eh, kind of successful business two, they get a, a ton of success. And then they, they all of a sudden do have this, what feels like overnight success because round three, they're just smarter. And one of the things that I heard you just say is partnerships, right? Buying companies, buying into companies where there's great leadership. You also have a great partner in the EQRP business, which has helped you guys be tremendously successful. Can we just talk a little bit about that? How do you, how do you identify that? I think I think a lot of people who are thinking about making that transition sometimes think like, oh, I, me and this coworker work together, or me and this other guy got this idea, so we're going to go into business together. And that can be the worst move possible. So, what's your wisdom on partnerships? On well, partnerships and marriage, 
Yeah. And you, just because you like somebody doesn't mean you go marry and get in bed with them. I Marriage mean, with a prenup is what I say. Uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> prenup. And, and, you know, re- reality is you, you want to know, is this somebody that in a way I could see myself growing old with that I can fight with and I'm not going to just abandon? Like it's, it's I've not been married except I have been in business. And right. I mean, partnerships are, are real. They really are married. And I've had really bad partnership marriages yeah, in business. <laughs> I've had people that have stolen millions of dollars from me. I've had people that have thrown me under the bus in legal environments. That happens in marriage where you end up in a, in a divorce and you're like, yeah, I didn't realize you hated me that much. <laughs> and so I've seen all that stuff. And so, and I also think that partnerships can be a, a great accelerator. They can take one and one and turn it into 10. And, and so it's not just two people. It's, you know, one of the things that people do is they, they argue about, should I have somebody that's the same as me because we get along or should I have somebody that's opposite of the me of me? Because look, if two people do the same thing, you don't have a partner. You just have somebody that you're trying to figure out how to get them to do your stuff probably. Right. And, and so then, then you're going to be, then they're going to be irritated because you're not working because they're doing all the work. So I think you really have to date in partnership and, Oftentimes, partners aren't necessary, that hiring people is a better plan. Partnership is, I heard somebody years ago say, the only time you want a partner is if you're going to take a loss. And and it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to lose a business. What it means to me is that you're going to have hardship. You're going to have losses. You're going to lose money. Things are going to go wrong. And you have a partner so that you're going through this not alone. Because going through pain when you have something, you get sued, you have... You have months where you're you're bleeding out your you know orifices. When when that happens, it's really there's something really valuable about being able to crack a beer with somebody that's like bleeding with you and you're like commiserating. Yeah. And and then you're dreaming about how you're going through this thing. And then you can look back because you go through some crap and then you get to the other side and you're doing it and you're like, okay, cool, that was amazing. And then you're like, uh, telling people and nobody really gets it because nobody went through it. Yeah. But they the, just the, see the success. They just see the success. And the person that went through it with you, like you have these these stories and this this life experience shared. That's why it sucks to these people that go and they make all this money and then they're on the mountaintop by themselves. They never built relationships. They didn't have partnerships. They were the only owner of their thing. I think that that's, that's one of the missing pieces of business that people don't realize is, is so valuable. 100%. So I want to dive into the EQRP business because, and your partner, David Morris, um, but you've decided to dedicate your life to helping successful people, high-income earners, take control, checkbook control over their retirement plan by way of a qualified retirement plan that they self-custody effectively and manage themselves rather than using a third party. Um, I love that. I'm a, I am a customer, which is how we got to know each other. Um, David actually was the one that sold me into my account, but I heard you on a podcast just like this. Um, but why, why dedicate your life to that? Obviously, you know, you got other things going on with Vertruvian and my gold advisor and all that, but why EQRP? Well, so when I, when I mentioned back in 2010, there was this period after I got fired of being a volunteer for Peter Schiff <laughs> and I, I went off and I was like, okay, what am I going to do now? And it was like all these different options. And when I narrowed it down and finally said, okay, I'm going to do the one thing. What's the one thing? This is like Gary Keller's the one thing. Like what's right. the one thing that making everything, makes everything else either irrelevant or easier? And I and I was I was having these experiences. Like one of the experiences was my dad got really sick and and he made this – before he got sick, he I watched him in retirement where he didn't have very much money. He played by the rules and – and he was basically broke, and so he's waiting for his, his government check, his Social Security and his, his pension from the, the military. And I was like, okay, this is embarrassing. Right. And, and he he's had this whole strategy around timing the stock market. And I was like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> and and so then he, when he got towards the end of his life, he, he told me, we were sitting down, and he said, man, there were just so many things that I wanted to do. And he had like six weeks left to, to live. And it hit me that money had prevented him from living the life that he dreamed of. Right. And I thought, okay, well, how, all right, so that seems, that's terrible. And that was a warning. Like, how, how do I fix that for me? How do I fix that for other people? And, and what, what I started to realize when I dug into it is most people's wealth is tied up in their house and their 401k. And, and I say that it's one of those two things because most people, if they have wealth, that's it. I'm not talking about the edges of the bell curve. I'm talking about the, most of society has, they have maybe a 401k and they have the equity in their house. And, and so they're like, all right, I hope this is enough. Most people don't realize that they they don't realize their options. They what they've been is they've been brainwashed. Right. 
and and so they have their retirement account and they go well i'm gonna watch this roller coaster i'm on the roller coaster this sucks it goes up it goes down i like I, I don't know if i'm gonna have enough and and when i was digging into the tax code back in in 12 13 and i ended up writing the book the qrp book I realized that there were a lot more options and people had no idea because there was so much misinformation. Like misinformation didn't start with Trump and Russia. Misinformation was like, it's like old man. Oh yeah. It's way out there. And and there's the financial, financial institutions have been at the epicenter of a lot of that because they want you to do a certain thing and push your money in a certain way. That's how they make money. Yeah. You don't put your money money. in the banks or the traditional 401k services or, um, you know, they've been talking about alternative assets is too risky forever now. Yeah, it's too risky for Compared them because they what? don't get their fees. Exactly. So it's, it's really risky. They even made laws that call it selling away. You can't, I can't tell you to do real estate because we haven't vetted the deal. Right. And that's on, on purpose because they they haven't figured out a very easy way for them to make AUM, assets under management fees and, and all their other fees. So they keep they keep you confused and scared like, oh, look, I'm, I'm the one with all the credentials. Have you seen my name? I have alphabet soup after it. So I'm the one that knows this stuff yeah. and you're too stupid because you're just a doctor or right. you're just a janitor or whatever. And so they basically make you feel inadequate and you go, okay. And then you just kind of follow along. And there are some great advisors out there that have really taken their craft to heart. They've, they're very smart. They're very successful. I think, unfortunately, most advisors, and I, I say this truly, most advisors are salespeople that don't have any wealth. Right. And so they're, it's like the, the old thing about Wall Street. It's the only place where people in Rolls Royce go and take advice from people that took, got, to, got to work on the subway. Like it makes no sense right. how, how we're communicating. Um, but the the EQRP that idea, it, it was it was this idea that where people could actually control and drive and not just hope because I don't believe smoking hopium is a good strategy for for wealth or, or security or, or anything else for freedom, but yet people that's what people are doing they're smoking all this hopium and and instead we can have a decision and then a plan and that's what the EQRP is all about it's about giving people control, taking it away from Wall Street giving them control and they can invest. Like you, we were talking about how you would you'd look to at, at options to invest some retirement money in real estate, and people were like, "No, no, that's no, no that's risky. That, yeah, I can't do that. That would be a terrible idea." Yeah, because we, we had we had a <clears throat> when I was uh, still with the marketing company, marketing and technology company, we had switched from one provider to another provider that allowed us allowed us to manage our own money, which I was super excited about. So the only thing I could manage though were stocks. They wouldn't let me move any money into real estate investments or real estate syndications um, because they hadn't vetted it. Mind you, I was killing them with my own portfolio management of the stocks, right? I mean, outpacing all the funds and crap that they were pushing me or pushing everybody else into. That's what set me on the journey. That was the catalyst event. Plus, I was halfway out the door thinking about, you know, fully going into all the other businesses that I had started and taking the entrepreneurial leap. So I know I, I knew I needed to have another way to tax shelter, but also get checkbook control, like in the event that I needed to write myself a loan or a check to go leverage for a business opportunity, I wanted to be able to do that. Um, so I had talked to a ton of different people, and, and I, including my wealth manager. And he told me, oh, yeah, we do those. When I, I talked to him about a qualified retirement plan, his response was, oh, we do those. And I go, oh, he's like, it's just a solo 401k. And I'm like, I don't think it's a solo 401k. I think it's a little different. So for the audience listening, a two-part question. What makes EQRP so special? And how does that compare to like a solo 401k or a self-directed IRA? So when most people think about self-directed, they think about anything outside of just their Wall Street 401k with mutual funds. What they typically bump into, somebody they're thinking about it, Google shows it to them. It's a self-directed IRA or a solo 401k. And so you can get these things at banks. Basically, banks will give you an IRA that you have sort of control of. You can go to Charles Schwab and get a solo 401k, and they're free. And what people don't realize is that all they, these are names, solo. It just means there's an individual and there's no, you are the company. Right. That's all it means. A self-directed IRA means it's an IRA that you actually get to do some controlling but not total control of. And, and so the difference between those those ideas or those those products and EQRP is EQRP you legitimately get full control you have it, it's it's built differently it's kind of like saying people bring this up all the time well what's different and I say well what's different between a Ford and a Ferrari yeah what's the difference they're both cars they both have four wheels they both get you from A to B it's what's under the hood mm-hmm. and how you can maneuver and what you're able to do 
Um, ultimately, you have the ability to invest into things like you're talking about real estate. You can invest, you can loan yourself money. You can't do that with IRAs. With solo 401ks at Schwab, they'll let you direct your stuff into stocks that right. they sell you. But I remember years ago trying to, one, one of our, our clients wanted to, to use a, a Schwab 401k, their, their solo 401k, to invest in, um, in a private equity deal. And the amount of brain damage, and ultimately Schwab said no. Their, their documents said if you want to do something that's outside, like a private deal, it's approximately four to six weeks for us to review it. So they did it, and then they denied it. And I was like, okay, and it was a legitimate deal. There was nothing wrong with the deal, but Schwab didn't feel comfortable. Right. So what happens with EQRP is you're in charge. People say, well, who's in charge? Who's the trustee? You're the trustee. Who's the TPA, the third-party administrator? You're all the pieces. You get to be in control. This is why Wall Street doesn't talk about it because they lose control. Yep. It's all about who controls it, and EQRP is the ultimate control of your retirement money. Yeah, they make it super confusing and uh, make it seem like all the back office on that is super challenging and overwhelming. And that's essentially the problem that you guys have solved. But what I love that you've done and you've taken even a step further is, okay, great. I want checkbook control over my money. Now you're teaching people how to deploy it. Mm -hmm. Like it's one thing to say you have checkbook control. It's another thing to say like, Hey, here's how you vet a sponsor. Hey, here's what a good deal looks like. This is what these different acronyms you're going to come up against are. Here's all the different ways you can deploy. And you built the team around that where you know, the customers can turn that are advisors. They're not saying, hey, here's what you need to do with your money. It's just asking some questions. And then on top of that, you layered in other investment platforms for them. Retrieving Investments, My Gold Advisors. You got the FrameTech deal, which I think kind of operates under the Vitruvian arm. Um, but let's talk a little bit more about those companies and, uh, and why that part of the business, I think, is what makes it unique. It's one thing to say, hey, here's your account. Great. Have good luck out there. It's a different thing to say. Hey, we're going to walk with you on this journey. So. Well, I think one of the things that we do is, is when we're, we're, we're helping people set up their, their accounts and then they have control, we also share what we're doing, like right. personally. And so what people, I, I think there's, there's a lack of integrity in general because people will say, oh, you should do this. Well, no, I'm not doing that. Just do it as, as I say, not as I do. And, right. and so over the years, I've been doing things, whether it's private equity investments, whether it's real estate, whether it's gold and silver, whether it's crypto, like I'm doing these things and people were asking about them. So what, it, what made sense was to find a way to create a lot of opportunity for people to go and participate in those. And so we, we built platforms and we built separate companies that we can, that we, we know because we built them. And so we're not saying, oh, you know, go, go check out Billy Bob over here has a great pro forma. We're saying, okay, well, we've actually built this and we've, we've vetted these things and, and, so, and we participated. So like when we're sharing something, for me, I don't go and share something and say this is a good idea unless I've got millions of dollars of my own money right. on the line first. And then I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share it because I think that there's – I've seen most deals that are out there, the, the people that are sharing them or that are selling them, they're, they're not, they're not going to be crucified if the deal doesn't go well. I am. And that is a huge difference. And so anybody, if you're looking at a deal, you're thinking about a deal, one of the first questions is, how much pain are you going to have if this thing goes sideways? Right. And so that's why these things were, were built. You know, like in the, in the gold and silver space, I happen to like that. I've been around it for my entire life. And, and so I think that there's value given what's happening in the monetary system that we're, we're going through a reset now. It's actually happening real time. And, and what, what is not going to reset is gold and silver. Right. It's, it's the same gold and silver today as it was 5,000 years ago. It's the same stuff. And, and I like, like the, the stuff that we're teaching people is find real things. Like you'd mentioned HVAC or, you know, you, you have this, have this gym, have this idea around fitness. Okay. We have a manufacturing plant. We're building floors and walls and trusses of houses. These are real things. Nobody goes, I don't understand. You have a gym. That doesn't make any sense to me. How do people make money in the gym? They look at you and they're like, Oh, that, okay. Duh. Yeah. And like building a wall for a house, like that makes sense. I make money right here. Yeah, it's, it's right there. <laughs> the guns on the, the guns. show. That's all it's for. <laughs> I mean, the, and this is this is what we built platforms around real things. Yeah. And so, you know, we've we've got our education, we've got the opportunities. And this David and I were just sitting there on a on a chairlift a few years ago, and we said there's a missing piece. People are they're looking for ways to deploy. How can we help them and not just say, okay, hey, we're gonna have a we're gonna go do a deal. We like we don't do deals with people and get kickbacks. We we just that's not you're the lead sponsor on everything. Uh, we we're and we're, we're we're actually an active member of what we do. Right. So we in that's that's part of the model that we decided we just weren't we were not going to play that game. And it's 
you know, everybody can have their own game. I think one of the problems I have with people that are doing deals, they're getting kickbacks and stuff, they don't disclose it. Right. So you really don't know, is this person my friend and referring something or are they getting a fee for the thing? I'm not opposed to fees, but you got to tell people, hey, you know what? I'm going to recommend this thing. I get paid if you do it. I, I just think that that's the legitimate way of doing business. And people are so afraid, if I tell them I'm making money, then they're gonna not, not going to want to do it, so better hide it. And, and we see a lot of that, and I think that there's going to be a lot of fallout from that type of activity. We're just, that's not our model. Our model is we're going to go invest in things, and we're going to share the things that we invest in. And you guys want to join us? Go for it. Right. It's a bigger pie, and that's, that's all it is. We're not going to go buy a house and do a thing by ourselves. We're going to go create a manufacturing disruption system, and we're going to have hundreds of people with us, and we're going to change America. Like, you know, it's, it's a different philosophy. You don't do that crap on your own. Right. You got to go do it. Like you got to bring people in and, and share the vision. So that's, that's, we did all that stuff because we saw the gap. It's like what you're talking about, find a gap and then go fill it. And that's, we didn't see that. We see a lot of people saying, okay, we'll sell you this item, this idea of control of your retirement account. And then good luck. Hope yeah. it works out. Or we'll, the, the people that are selling it generally are not out there investing and sharing what they're doing. And, and I think that that's a gap too. Yeah, totally. I want to talk about gold silver and uh bitcoin because you actually like both mm -hmm. and we both know uncle peter uncle schiff uh we've been following peter schiff for a long guy a long time peter if you're watching this you'd be very proud damien's still buying gold and silver um and and bitcoin which you would not like at yeah, all well, so that's the dichotomy right yeah. of like because i feel like there's these two camps that like oh if you're a gold bug then you can't be a bitcoin bug um what's your thought and thesis you, you alluded to it a little bit about hard money assets gold i think is one of those I think we both agree that Bitcoin is a form of hard money, but a little easier transportationally, functionally within society. But you're still buying gold. So I guess I, what's, the, what's the plug on those two things? So I like those things because the government doesn't control them. Yeah, that's true. I mean, the ultimate reality is that they really don't have counterparty risk. And gold and silver do not. When you're holding gold and silver, there is no counterparty. That means somebody else can't manipulate. They can manipulate the spot price. Like whatever price you see on on the internet or something of gold, that's one thing. And then the reality of this value, it, it has value, it's physical value. No, It's just, okay, gold is gold. That one ounce of gold is still worth one ounce of gold tomorrow. Right. And so the dollar has different versions of its value. It, they keep getting less. You know, yes. you can get, it's less and less eggs next week and next month. So I, I've, I've liked gold and silver for a long time. There's also something about having God's money in your hand yes. and and feeling there's, I've, I've found that when I've gone out and, and accumulated it, there's there's an attraction. It's weird. Like I accumulate that and I give away money. Yep. And those both do have this weird magnetic thing that happens with, with wealth. And um, it, it works for me. So I, I think it works for a lot of people when they do that. The, the reason I like Bitcoin is because it's not controlled by a central bank. It's not controlled by a government. It's, it's code and it's clean. So math works for me. Yeah. Like there's... Uh, I think it was, was it Andrew Yang that had a math pin when he was running for president and said, make America think again or make America think uh, something. Anyways, I just, I like Bitcoin because there's nothing behind the curtain. When you look at the Federal Reserve, when you look at the U.S. government, I, I dated a congresswoman a couple years ago and I remember seeing that behind the curtain stuff in D.C. and I was like, this is the most corrupt thing. Everything is pay to play. Everything is for sale. I'm not, I mean, everything's for sale. You get to be on committees because your PAC gives more money to the Republican pack or the Democratic pack than the other person. You get to be on more TV, you know, on, on more uh, uh, hearings and things like, and then you get access to people in DC because you gave them money. That's, that's it. Yeah. Again. So I look at those and I go, how do I get my dollars out of dollarhood? How do I get them out of that control? How do I put them in my control? And, and I like, and Bitcoin is, it, it can't be manipulated. It's just, it is what it is. And it's got 13 years of, of track record. I like the fact that you can carry a hundred billion dollars worth of Bitcoin across a border without a problem. You can carry it in your head. What do you, what do you say to the people who, cause I hear this every time. I'm sure you do too. It's like, Oh, but the government, they can step in and they're not gonna let you spend that. Or, uh, yeah, I don't just don't trust it. Cause you know, it's, it's digital and it can be hacked or whatever, which you and I both know is not true. But what is your, how do you help people through that? Like if you're listening to this and you maybe don't own Bitcoin, which I think you should, um, what do you tell them? Well, for one, I tell every, every human being in the world should own Bitcoin. That's a very big statement to say everybody should do something. Right. And I say that because Bitcoin is the, the ultimate, 
it's the ultimate crypto. I find myself becoming more, more and more of a maximalist. Not that Me I don't too. love old other crypto ideas because I think they solve a lot of problems. Like when you have tokenization of assets and people can actually have liquidity, like there's a lot of really cool things around the crypto space. The thing about, like, I like about Bitcoin is it's proven and, and everybody should understand what it's like to be able to control your money because right now people go, well, Bitcoin can be hacked. No, it actually can't be hacked. It's never been hacked. It's the code is clean and you have this network that has to validate and verify everything or things get kicked out. The, the great thing about Bitcoin is, is that you can't have, there's, there's no way for it to be printed. There's no way for it to be seized. Like if you have it in your head, how is that going to happen? How is it going to be seized? The, there is a, a control there. Can, can your checking account get hacked? Yes, all day long. Have had it happen multiple times with businesses and things and watch the money disappear and then you have to sue banks and, and they don't care. We had, we had one business years ago that had a couple million dollars that was literally just wired overseas and it took us a year to get the money back and they didn't care. And, and there's no urgency. No, and the FBI doesn't care because it's not a hundred million or a billion and there's no foreign actor. There's, there's no Biden interest involved. So, you know, you, like you're on your own. Good luck. And yeah, so so when people say, "Well, I I don't I don't trust Bitcoin," I'm like, "You trust what? The dollar Com- compared to what? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, compare. What do you compare? I, I actually trust Bitcoin. I I don't trust the dollars. I use them because it, right now our system, you can move stuff around. Government can't seize Bitcoin. I mean, they can come over and say, "Give us your keys, give us your codes." But I mean, you have to be you know set up the Silk Road or something. Like you've got to do something pretty hardcore. They, that just doesn't unless you're in Canada and Trudeau will just come in there and say, "Okay, we're freezing all your stuff on Coinbase." Right. Like. That's why you don't put it on Coinbase. You put it in cold storage, different top podcast. A hundred million percent do that <laughs> stuff. I mean, you do have more and more concern from uh, tyrants and oligarchs and things. They're, th- they're saying, okay, we don't want people to have control of their money, so they're pushing back. You see it with, with Gensler and the SEC. You see it with some of these politicians. They're, they're trying to figure this out. Meanwhile, crypto is still happening. It's a global network. It's going to happen and, and it's going to just go wherever it's, it's protected, whether it's Singapore or Dubai or Switzerland or these different places. And so maybe the U S ends up being a laggard. And what you have is you have people like Cynthia Loomis that are really trying U S Senator from Wyoming that are really trying to get America positioned. Kathy, it's Catherine. Cynthia, Cynthia Cynthia? Loomis. Yeah. Cynthia Loomis, Senator Loomis. You, you, and then Caitlin Long is also in Wyoming. Like there's a lot of there's a lot of these C's. Yeah, C's uh, and L's. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's true. I never thought about that. But So there, there's some activity, but you've got a lot of entrenched interests. And part of that is, if you really think about why this is happening, the military-industrial complex feeds on fiat currency. Like, to have wars, we need to have lots of cash. And what's cash? It's made up money. It's not money. But if you can print it, you can go to war forever. Uh, my friend G. Edward Griffin wrote a book called The Creature from Jekyll Island, and he talks about the whole playbook. And if you want to, it was a conspiracy book 30 years ago. And now it's like, oh, this is All the playbook. the Federal Reserve, right? Yeah, the Federal Reserve and, and Congress and, and how they're printing. And you can't do that with Bitcoin. You can't do that with gold-backed money. And so I like it. I like this because it takes away the ability to go to war endlessly. You only go to war if there's an actual need for war. And it's very rare that there's a need for war. So I like Bitcoin because it's, it's really about peace. It's about honesty. It's about truth. Dollars, yens, euros, the entire world is set up on a fiat system. So I, I, I believe in honest commerce. I'm a big Ron Paul fan. He said we can get rid of war if, we're, if we actually trade, if we focus on trading. Because like you look at countries that are next to each other that are trading, they don't go to war. They're, they're, one, of the, one of the great things that we can do is start working with energy, like having power lines going between countries. They don't blow each other up because they're reliant on each other. And open free trade is the same thing with open free Bitcoin exchange. When you have when you have dollars and 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 the and the the government and the Federal Reserve can keep devaluing them, they're stealing from everybody, and so it's not really free trade. It's like how fast can I get rid of these damn things before they steal them from me? So I like Bitcoin because of that, and I, I think that we're heading down a, a road where people are going to trust fiat currencies less and less. Yes. And and I think that the only reason people don't buy into Bitcoin is because they haven't done it yet. It's I always tell people if you're if you're interested in learning about something. If you want to go go invest in it, go buy a little piece of it. Do something, get started, and that and that that's the same with Bitcoin. Everybody should have some. Go buy ten dollars worth. So here's my story with Bitcoin. It's 2010, 2000, maybe almost 2011. I'm hanging around a bunch of web developers, and they're like, "Dude, you got to 
learn about this Bitcoin thing. I'm like, that's ridiculous. That'll never happen. Back then, you had to get an onion router in order to access the the Bitcoin network and be able to get some Bitcoin. Um, and as I came to understand it, it was a lot of these preconceived notions in around how I thought the banking and monetary system worked. Uh, the one thing that makes Bitcoin unique is it's peer-to-peer. So they would have to ban the internet for you and I to be able to not be able to do a transaction. Right. And when you when you put that in perspective, it changes the dynamic because everybody assumes everything has to run through the bank. We're like, no, we're just cutting the bank out of the equation. The second part of that is the hacking part. Uh, it's not centrally controlled, unlike Ethereum, which is. Um, and it would take a 90% consensus to change the protocol, which means we can't even agree. <laughs> we can't agree. Half the country can't agree who they want to vote on. So we're not going to get consensus on changing that. And if we did, then shoot, then it probably really wasn't meaningful and we needed to make a change. So that's what I love about it. That said, I'm, I'm still sprung on gold as well. And I think everybody should own some of that. It's just less... Um, the utility of it in a modern society is becoming less and less. But long of the short, once upon a time before banks, we just bartered for stuff. Like, I want that microphone. Here's this water, you know? And, like, that's the same thing that we're getting back to. It's just direct peer-to-peer transactions. So I love it. And, it, and it's it's honest. Right. There's all these intermediaries. When you think about all the, all the intermediaries are just taking a piece. They're, it's like if you go, if you actually, when you buy something on Amazon, and you end up spending $65 for this thing, and you're like, that's amazing. I'm getting a damn toaster oven that does these things, and it does my laundry too. It's like amazing, $65. The actual cost of that thing from the manufacturer in China is like 6 bucks or 8 bucks or whatever it is. And then all that middle is all the marketing. It's all the middleman. It's the intermediary. Same exact thing with the, with the financial system. It's just all of, the, all of these pieces, they're taking a piece of you, and they're, what they're doing is they're stealing your prosperity. Yes. And they feel entitled to it. Because they've been doing it, and then they've been trained to do it, and they've been trained that they're entitled to it because they're creating this incredible value. They're not creating jack shit. Yep. They're creating no value. They're just stealing. And 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 so when you have peer-to-peer, the math does all the work. It's a beautiful thing, and the financial system hates that. They right. hate that. And I think what we're going to see is we're going to see a lot of systems that create a lot of the legal system, the accounting system. Like you think about all of the wasted energy that's that – is consumed because of disagreements and moving documents around and asset ownership and things. The legal system gets disrupted completely with the blockchain system. Correct. And and so, but just going back to Bitcoin, what we're doing is we're finding efficiencies and we're squeezing out all of the unnecessary stuff for human interaction. Human interaction is very, very simple. It's we come to an agreement and we do this thing. What's happened is the leeches have built up an entire infrastructure around taking from us and then we've just slowly allowed it. It's a it's a slow boil. I think we're going in the other direction now. It's and it's it's going to be a war. It's going to be a fight. It's going to be freedom versus tyranny. You're going to see Bitcoin versus central di- digital bank currencies. Like that stuff is it's real. It's happening in China. It's it, there's a lot of push by governments that want to do the control. They want to have the centralized thing where they control it. They can turn your money off. And then you've got Bitcoin. That I, I it's I find it in- interesting that BlackRock is now a big fan of of crypto. Yeah. Right. Like two years ago, they're like, oh, that's stupid. No, Larry Fink was like, this is the dumbest thing. Well, because he was making money outside of the system. Once they realized they could make money with Bitcoin. They always always do that until they're on the right side of the trade. Yes. It's the same thing they did with the financial crisis in 2008. It's consistent. I mean, you want to know what's happening? Just go look back in history. Look, you'll know what's going to happen going forward. Just look back far enough. The the only concern I had with with ETFs is that you say, okay, well, 90% consensus for something to happen or whatever this, like, this needed amount of we agree if one organization i mean blackrock's very interesting because they they have this interesting control because of all the mutual funds over board of directors for all the fortune 500 companies because they they have the proxy vote for all these people that have mutual fund shares larry fink essentially has been able to direct policy and like when you think about the woke movement Where's ESG coming from? It was from Larry Fink. Well, now he's saying it's, he's not a fan of ESG. And I'm like, you, you were driving the damn thing because you controlled boards of directors. Well, what happens when Larry Fink, through BlackRock, has $500 billion of Bitcoin? Well, it's a concern, except how's he going to get $500, $500 billion worth of Bitcoin? Bitcoin mostly is locked up. There's a very small percentage of it that's actually floating. Most people are sitting there holding. Right. And so that concern that's come up that I've had, I thought, this is very unlikely because... Most people that have Bitcoin are they're holding it because they trust it. 
They're not out there going, okay, Larry Fink, you can buy my Bitcoin. Yeah. What, then what am I going to buy? I trust Bitcoin more than the other things. That's why I have it in the first place. Yep. So I, I basically talked myself through this whole concern and said, I, um, I'm not that concerned. Larry Fink can do what he wants. I still trust the, I, I trust humanity and they're, they're wanting to have something honest. And I think that they're more likely to hold it. Smart. So to put a bow on it, as entrepreneurs, we don't like walking with the traditional system. EQRP is about bucking the traditional financial system. And within that, you can buck the financial system even more by getting some Bitcoin, getting some gold, buying some real estate and doing, you know, alternative asset investing. So I love that. What, what's on your mind right now that's keeping you awake at night, either because you're excited or because maybe you're planning concern for the future? Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about, about the, the businesses that, um, that I get to be a part of, that, you know, with the, with the people that are a part of them. And that's the most exciting thing. Early in my career, it was mostly about me just grinding. And, and I think that that's one of the, the coolest things to have an organization, have people around that are growing and being able to do things that help them grow. Yep. So I get more excited about that. I, I, the community, we have thousands of people in our community that are EQRP members and, and the investors with Vitruvian. I get to see everybody succeed. I get to see their dreams fulfilled. And, and knowing that there's, I get to play a little part in that. And a lot, oftentimes it's really just reflecting back what people already know. It's just nobody's ever told them that, yeah, you're not crazy. Yeah, you can actually do this. And yeah, you can have control. <laughs> and so I love that. I'm, I'm concerned that so many people are giving over power to these, the influencers that don't know what the hell they're doing, that they're, they're saying, please save us to the politicians, that what they're not doing is not taking responsibility. I see a lot of people abdicating responsibility and pushing it on whoever is going to pander to them. Yep. And, and that really concerns me. I think people, that's, that's where my people like Adolf Hitler came to power because people were afraid, they were scared. And, and I, it's, it's unfortunate. So I'm not, I'm not a big fan of, of these, these charlatans that are floating around on Instagram. Or I like people like you that are out there doing stuff and talking about it. I don't like the people that are just talking about it. That doesn't not doing stuff. <laughs> yeah, but, but you know, they've, they just they get people that are so miserable in their lives that they're willing to chase and say, yeah, I love this person. And so that concerns me, the direction we're going. Um, I'm, I'm hopeful that you have people like, and who knows where Elon takes his thing with X, but I'm, I'm hopeful that people will step up and start creating environments where people can have honest conversations without censorship. So there's, there's some pretty big uh, concerns I have with policy, but I, I love that like especially with Bitcoin and the network effect globally, I think people are waking up. So there's like, there's a, there's a war between tyranny and freedom and, and there's a war between openness and closeness. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I think ultimately truth will win. Um, but I'm not, I'm not convinced that we're not going to go through some tough stuff in the, in the meantime. So I think my focus is staying focused on the people that I can actually touch and influence right. and, and concern myself less with what, Joe Biden and Hunter are doing today at breakfast. Like that's, I can't do anything about that. And that's not going to serve anybody here for me to just go on and on about that. I mean, it's, <laughs> I think other people are going to have, they're going to spend their time doing it. It's not going to be me. Yeah. Agreed. What do you think? This is a, this is actually a, if, you know, you're a real estate guy. You listen to plenty of bigger pockets. They always ask the question, you know, what makes people successful versus those that are not, but in a more general sense for entrepreneurship, what's the difference between, those who become successful entrepreneurs and those who give up, quit, or never get started. I mean, I, I, I mean, it's funny. The answer is in the question. It's people that just don't quit. They're just they're not willing to quit. And usually, it's it's people that there's a time to quit. So there's a Winston Churchill thing that you've probably seen it with this. this the, it says never, 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 never quit. Like that was that was the yeah. thing until it's time to quit. Is my add-on. <laughs> There is a time when you say, no, it's like, this doesn't work. This is the wrong thing. It's like in, in 20 or in 1920, if you said, I am going to create a reimagined buggy whip. Okay. That was a dumb idea. You could do that thing for a year or two or five. And then you're gonna be like, okay, this is a dumb idea. This actually is, we're heading in the wrong direction here. Right. And so I think it's, it's the discernment around knowing when to quit and it's knowing when to not quit. And that is, that is not something you can learn in a school that is, and, and you're going to be wrong about that a lot. It's, I think one of the most powerful things and one of the most important things with entrepreneurs is having the right people that are influencing you around you. And, and so it'll help you to figure out when you're supposed to keep going 
and oftentimes you're two inches from the end zone and you don't even realize it. And that's, that's where a lot of people quit. They're like, oh, it's just too hard. Yeah. And so th- for, for me, I, I, maybe I'm just a glutton for pain. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, I, I don't care how many times Mike Tyson can punch me in the face or Darius can punch me in the face. And it's like, all right, I'll just take another one. Like it, it, and maybe part of that was like, I, I did a lot of, I started training in martial arts 23 years ago and it hurt. Like there was a lot of pain and then eventually pain just becomes part of the process. And you're like, okay, all right, that, okay, yeah, okay, go ahead. And I'll get out of the way this time, Matt, when you're punching me in the face, I'll actually move because I have muscle memory or flat nose memory. Like I, I get it there. I think the, the difference is it's, it's a level of commitment to the pain and, and, and deciding that the pain is not something that's going to get in the way. People are afraid of pain and you see this more and more. It's one of my concerns. People are very soft, very weak. We have men becoming girls and girls that want to be alphas. And we have all this weird stuff. And, and, and there's a very soft nature of, of humans, especially in Western society. Easily offended. Easily offended. And so they don't want to stick out. An entrepreneur is somebody that's going to stick out and get stepped on a lot. Yep. And punched and driven over and spit on by society in general. Because like, you're doing the exact opposite. You're putting the flag in the ground and saying, I'm responsible for yes. everything that happens. Right. I, I'm pointing in and not out, right? That's the difference. And that offends people. Yeah. That, that makes them crazy. And people are used, they, they want to be able to blame people. They, and so it's, it's really fascinating. Here, you, you'll have people trying to tear down success. They'll try to, they, we look up to Tom Brady, we look up to the Kardashians, but if, <laughs> if you go out there and you make a bunch of money, it's like, oh, evil, rich person. It's like, wait, because I, I, I built this business. While now, they're drinking rich. their Starbucks. Right. It's like there's this hypocrisy that's going on. And and so, again, who you're around is one of the biggest decisions you're going to make because if you're around entrepreneurs, then everything's normalized. If you're around your cousins who all work at corporate America or the government, they're going to be looking at you like you're a crazy person or, well, how did you get that money? You must have cheated. I remember, I remember 20 years ago, there, I had those – those ideas from when I was a kid, I remember thinking I was around some people and they were worth a ton of money, many, many millions, tens of millions. And I remember thinking they must've cheated. And I was like, why am I, I'm, I'm a damn entrepreneur. I'm out there making my millions and I'm thinking they cheated. Where is this coming from? And it was deep rooted into me. And that's what's happening in society. People are, are, they're resenting the wealthy. And one of the reasons that they resent the wealthy is because they don't think they can become wealthy. People that think that they can become rich don't try to take down down the rich because they want to be them. If you don't think you can become rich, it makes more sense to go attack the rich and try to have the wealth transitioned and repositioned into your account through governments and and things. That's what that's one of the things I've seen that's gotten worse. People they think they can do influencer billions and they can make, or they go, no, nah, I can't do it. And then you just see them saying it's not fair. So you should definitely tax. And I remember Peter Schiff said this. He's like, okay, so. I'm already paying like 54% of my income in, he was in Connecticut. So of course it's brutal. <laughs> he said, he would say to people that said that the taxes are too low. He'd say, well, what rate should they be? What would be fair? 60, 70, 80%. What, what do you suggest? Nobody had a good answer because all they're doing is yelling about how it's not fair. They're not, they're not actually, they don't want solutions. And, and what I love about entrepreneurship is that we have to have solutions or we die. Yep. That's, that's the only answer. Solve it or die. Yeah. I think that's why. Capitalism gets such a bad rap. Don't get me wrong. There's some definitely some crony capitalism, but traditional capitalism is like you either make a good product and people buy it or it's crap and they don't. And that's how the world works. And that's not the world we've been living in. So uh, I'm just going to blame you so that I can get something as a byproduct of it. Like that's been the game. Um, well, if people connect with your story, they want to follow along with what you got going on. What's the best platforms to do that on? You have a podcast, right? Yep. Financial Underdogs is the podcast. You're on LinkedIn? LinkedIn. Great place to visit. Yep. YouTube growing YouTube channel? YouTube. And any, any other place where you'd like to hang out? You know, it's funny. The, the question is, where am I? And people are like, I've seen you here. I've seen you on Instagram. I'm like, I'm on Instagram? I didn't even know it was Instagram. So apparently there's <laughs> Great other Great job, places. Nick. Yeah. There's, <laughs> it, it, apparently it's, it's happening all, all over. Uh, one, of, one of the things that, that – and you know, people oftentimes say this, but then they get surprised – so if somebody reaches out and they and they're like, hey, I'm 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 so and so on LinkedIn, they're most people if they have big followings or whatever, they, they tend to not. They've got handlers and, and I've had some people help me, but you don't really get to have interaction. 
I like people that reach out and actually have ideas and game plans and don't just have a problem. Like I like people that want some some feedback. So I'll actually interact with people and, and it's a lot of fun for me. But I'm gonna make a suggestion. Anybody, if you're reaching out, if you're like, okay, I'm gonna go and try to talk to that person that I heard or or this this you know, big name or whatever, don't just go vomit on them. Yeah. Like no, they're for one, they're just gonna like delete you or block you or both. And, and you're not gonna get anywhere. You're gonna waste a bunch of time. So and, and don't just go spam people. Yeah. Like don't 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 reach out on LinkedIn and say, hey, I wanna connect. And by the way, I got this great thing I wanna sell you. Like you're, I'm gonna block you. <laughs> but if you if you say, hey, I've got this thing and I'm and here's here's my idea and, and I'm I'm stuck on this thing and, and I, here's a couple of solutions, man, I'm gonna give you feedback. Like and I'm gonna do that because I wanna see people succeed. And, and you're an entrepreneur, you like solving problems like that. That so. I can't help it. Yeah. That's what we do. <laughs> so what you're saying is you do your own stunts, meaning you manage your own DMs. Just me and Tom, Tom, Tom Cruise and I just like that's what we do, man. <laughs> MI sixteen. There we go. That's awesome. Well, if people wanted to become an EQRP member, what's the best way they can do that? All right, visit eqrp.com and and uh, and download the report, get a copy of the book that we'll give you, we'll send out to you, and just really dig in a little bit, learn learn more about it. I mean, you're, there, there's a, a phase where you need to learn some and then and then engage. You know, reach out reach out to to the team. We're, we we want to help you break your shackles. We want to we want you to have control. And there's only one way that that's going to happen. You have to choose it. I love it. You guys heard it here first. If you're an entrepreneur, an intrapreneur, high income earner, and you want to take control, checkbook control over your retirement account so that you can start to invest it in things other than the stock market, but you could do the stock market as well if you wanted to, um, then EQRP is the answer. I hope you guys enjoyed today's show. Damien, I can't wait to have you back on again. We're going to be doing a lot of content together in the coming year, which I'm excited about because we're doing some consulting with you guys and just excited to watch you grow. So I appreciate your friendship, brother. Thanks for being here. Thank Until you, man. Appreciate it. Thanks.